You're listening to the On the NBA Beat podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant to shot. LeBron James with no regard for human life. Jordan. And now, your hosts, Lauren Lee Chen and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Hey listeners, we're going to be talking about the San Antonio Spurs today, who despite a 32-9 record in the first half of this season, have managed to fly a bit under the radar as far as national headlines go. Our guest today is Jeff Garcia, head Spurs writer for News 4 San Antonio and Fox 29 San Antonio and host of the Locked on Spurs podcast. Jeff once turned heads at a preseason media scrum when Spurs head coach Greg Popovich asked if he was the obligatory eye candy during media sessions. Hey Jeff, how's it going? Thanks for joining us today. I am doing great, and thank you guys for having me on. I'm looking forward to talking silver and black. As you know, and as our listeners know, our podcast week-to-week tries to go deep, diving into each team and the Spurs are a really interesting case study for this week. They're second in the league in terms of record. They're second in net rating, dominant in a lot of different aspects. But when you're looking at the national media coverage, it seems like we're being inundated with Cavs versus Warriors as the only possible finals outcome. And Spurs aren't even really being mentioned that often as possible challengers. And it seems like it's happening perennially that the Spurs are being slept on. Why do you think that's the case? And what does that feel like as someone who both covers the team and I think is a fan of the team too? Uh, yeah, it, it can get a little frustrating at times, but between us three, and it's no secret, I think the Spurs like that. I think they enjoy being under the radar, so to speak. Uh, are they being overlooked? Absolutely. They are. 100%. You uh, hit on a couple of points about uh, San Antonio, but this just is going to magnify the amount of overlookedness, if I can make up that word, from the national media. You're looking like a team that is fifth in the NBA in assists per game at 24.2, fifth in the NBA in blocks at 5.7, second in the NBA at 48% field goal shooting. First in the NBA, three-point field goal percentage at 41.5%. The list goes on and on. And this is just amazing that this team that does so well is in the top 10 of various important categories get overlooked. And it's simply this. They are the Spurs. They're not sexy. They don't sell ratings. They don't sell commercials in the sense like, hey, on this episode of such and such a show, we're going to talk about the Spurs. And, oh, my God, did you hear that Kawhi Leonard uh, is is in an argument with LaMarcus Aldridge and so on and so forth? The Spurs don't bring that kind of juiciness to the media. And that's a big reason why they get overlooked. And let's face it. They just get the job done. And that can get boring at times. It's like they say, death, taxes, and Spurs. That's what it is, and that's what it continues to be, even in the post-Tim Duncan season, uh, era, that is, I'm sorry. But nonetheless, though, they're sitting at 32-9 and as we uh, record the show. They are still getting it done. They are a defensive animal. They are an offensive animal, but yet overlooked. And I'm okay with that. Does it bother me at times? Of course. 
when I look at the schedule and I see teams that are getting national attention, like Knicks versus Bulls later tonight on ESPN. I mean, I mean, huh? You didn't realize there's a Spurs Grizzlies game on later on tonight, ESPN. And you get those moments. I get those moments. But does it really matter? Because at the end of the day, as long as this team is jiving at the right point, is heading into the postseason on the right foot, has a good rhythm, they're going to get their national media attention. That's going to come. And hopefully that's late June where they're hoisting up another trophy. And I'd rather take that media attention than regular season media attention. I think maybe part of it was because this season, at least the Spurs got off to a relatively uncharacteristically slow start at home, which is to say that they were still very good, but at home they lost four games in November after being so strong last season, 40-1, and one, and maybe some critics were like, okay, so this isn't the same Spurs team as we're used to. We can just write them off and not pay attention to them after that start. Since then... It seems like they've sorted out those early season woes. They've won 10 of their last 11 at home. Right. What do you think cost those early lows? And is it safe to say that those are sorted out by now? Uh, to a degree, yes, they have been sorted out. You see some hiccups along the road uh, currently, case in point, Phoenix and Mexico City. That loss, you saw what happened uh, to San Antonio at home versus the Bucks, even to a degree versus Minnesota in their recent game, struggling with them up until the uh, late second half. So you still see them sputtering. And in the new year, they're technically winning. They have a winning record, but barely. They're just barely above 500. But you, if you rewind to the beginning of the season, this team was a brand new team. You, you lost Tim Duncan. That's a huge loss. Maybe more importantly, you lose Matt Bonner. That even hurts a lot more. But <laughs> uh, nonetheless... You bring in Pau Gasol, you draft DeJounte Murray, you know, you lose Boris Diaw, you see a new team transitioning and trying to find their way. Where are we going now? I guess that's the idea that they were heading into the new season. You pretty much lost a big one-third of your big three, and your other two-thirds of your big three are getting up there in age, and they're not the same anymore. Well, maybe Tony Parker may change his minds as of late, but they were still looking for their ways, and... Pau Gasol was still trying to find uh, his rhythm with the Spurs, and he was trying to adjust to a different life, uh, maybe not being the man, not being the first guy they're going to give touches to because he has Kawhi, he has LaMarcus at his side now. And you're starting to see them like try to just simply get the chemistry down. I was baffled, too, by their slow start, at least at home, that is, and I didn't see that coming a mile away. I thought they'd be dominant after just losing one game last season in the AT&T Center, but I guess it's a, one of those things where you don't, don't want to look back. You just want to keep on looking forward. You look forward and you say, great, they got over whatever was bugging them early in the season. Whatever that funk was at home, that's gone now for the most part. On the road, they're still beasts on the road. They're 17-4 and four, uh, away from uh, San Antonio. They're 15-5 and five at home right now. I think they corrected it quite well, but I still say this team is still a work in progress. I alluded to it. They tend to have complacency issues. They really do. They take off their foot off that gas pedal too often than not. I, I think that is their biggest issue right now is they just don't put away teams that they need to put away. Look at the Lakers. Yes, I get that. The recent game against the Lakers, they destroyed them, annihilated them. But if you just bring it down to that second quarter, the Lakers made a nice comeback and they made it interesting, at least going into the half. And then, of course, the Spurs lit them up. So 
I would say complacency is still an issue. I would say that there is still chemistry issues to work out. You know, maybe try to f- tweak some things defensively. Offensively, I think they're fine. I think they're more than fine right now. They are um, up there as far as scoring per game as a team. I don't have issues with them right now aside from just nitpicky ones. I don't like that they sometimes play down to their competition. You've seen that in recent games. You're seeing it probably right now in this month of January. So hopefully the Spurs, as they go forward, case in point, the rodeo road trip, they'll get everything together and then just come out of that all-star break like gangbusters and get ready for the real season, and that being the postseason. Kawhi Leonard is clearly the Spurs' best player, and he's definitely playing the best basketball of his career. He's become a leader, too. He's emerged as a leader with Duncan's retiring. I mean, he's so well-rounded and, and great in just so many dimensions. Do you think there are any weak links left in his game? Or if not, what does he need to continue improving on? There's actually one weak link that I've been noticing, and the stats actually show it. And that's defensive. I'm sorry, just rebounding in general. You look at his season's progression up until this season. In uh, the 2014-15 season, he was averaging about 7.2 rebounds per game. In the 2015-16 season, he was averaging 6.8. This season, he's averaging 5.7. Could you uh, contribute that to perhaps LaMarcus Aldridge, Paul Gasol being there? Yeah, possibly. But if there's an area that I would like to see him improve on, is simply that, his rebounding. Uh, they're slipping a little bit. You know, what What can you say from a guy that's a two-time defensive player of the year is uh, putting up 30-point games like they're nothing now. I mean, they're like second-hand to him. But if there's an area right now that I would say, you know what, Kawhi, this is you need to work on is simply is the rebounding. They're slipping a little bit. If he could just up that up a little bit, he'd be that much more deadly. With all the talk of Russell Westbrook and James Harden for MVP, do you think Kawhi is being forgotten and should be considered a lot more heavily? Oh, my God. Yes, I think he should. But, you know, it's hard to say or at least uh, disagree with the uh, idea that Westbrook and Harden are your top one, two MVP candidates. I mean, you see what they're doing. You're seeing what Westbrook is doing with so much less than what Kawhi has on the floor. He's uh, a walking triple-double. I get that. Yeah, you got to put him up there as a MVP candidate. James Harden, you know, whoever thought that James Harden, the black hole that he was, is going to be leading the league in assists at almost 12 a game and uh, guiding Houston to an incredible record and just turning his game around offensively and, dare I say, even defensively. But lurking in the shadows is a Kawhi Leonard. And just in the past five games, he's averaging – 30.4 points per game, 1.4 steals, 3 assists, 4.4 rebounds. He's shooting, I mean, look at this, a 46.2% from the three-point line. And when he's on the court in the last five games, the Spurs are a plus 6.6 with him. He's getting it done on the free throw line as well. He's up that area of his game. And even his progression since the beginning of the season on the offensive side of the ball, scoring that is, in the month of November, 23.4 points per game, December, 24.3 points per game. This month, at least through eight games in the month of January, 26.8. I guess maybe he's also a product of the Spurs being overlooked. 
maybe he's become the new Tim Duncan. You expect this from Kawhi. You expect these kind of numbers from Kawhi. Just like you saw with Tim Duncan, you expected him to be a walking double-double. You expected him to put up a quiet 20 and 10 almost daily when Tim Duncan was wearing silver and black. And Kawhi could be a product of that. He's very low-key. He's not a screamer. He's not like Westbrook charging down the court, jamming it with ferocity and then thumping his chest. He's not like Harden making the little cooking, stirring pot symbol <laughs> little thing as he runs off after scoring a three-point shot or putting the three fingers up in the air and kissing the sky. Kawhi's not that. He's quite the opposite. And if he was that type of player, yeah, I think I would not be surprised to see him as a one, two, three and up there for an MPB candidate. But he's not. He's the typical spur. He then Pop praises him for that. Pop says every time after he has a monster game that that Kawhi's not going to go out there and beat his chest. And yeah. I think you have to enjoy that from a Spurs fan point of view and that he just goes out there and get the job done, just like Tim Duncan did when Duncan was wearing silver and black. Will Kawhi Leonard get an MVP? I think he will. I think uh, that is probably down the road for him. It's unfortunate this season that Westbrook and Harden are just having career seasons. But at the end of the day, does it really matter? Does it really, really matter? All he cares about is titles. He has one already. He has an MVP NBA Finals trophy. He probably would like to have that more in his trophy shelf than a regular season MVP. Because what is that going to amount to anything? And if at the end of the day, you're not the last team standing, hoisting the Larry O'Brien trophy up in the air. Yeah, it's all about the team for Popovich and the Spurs. Individual accomplishments be damned. You mentioned in your first answer to Lauren's question about if the Spurs were being overlooked, that they're often regarded as kind of like a boring team. That's not really the reality, though, of when I think most people, when you watch them play, you appreciate their higher octane, efficient offense that they've transitioned into over recent years. Maybe the boring aspect also comes from the understated humility of guys like Kawhi Leonard, for example, or mm-hmm. Tim Duncan before him. But whom or what do you credit that smooth transition to from a kind of a slower grinded out offense into that high octane efficient one we're seeing now? Uh, Popovich right away. Pop knows what he's working with. He knows the type of horses he has in his stable. And he knows that perhaps a higher octane offense will lend to the these uh, guys' talents on the court. You're looking at Kawhi Leonard. I mean, we don't have to rehash the numbers. Everybody knows what he's doing, and especially of late. I mean, he's just putting up monster stats. But it goes beyond that. You're seeing even LaMarcus Aldridge put in double-doubles, almost sometimes having games where he doesn't even miss a shot. You're seeing Patty Mills push the ball up the court and pass a lob up to Dwayne Dedman for a flush and alley-oop uh, jam. And, oh, my God, when was the last time you saw the Spurs run an alley-oop? I mean, that's, this is bizarre. Who are these guys? Who is this fun-loving team on the court that we're seeing daily, almost nightly? But you have to give credit to Popovich. He understands the trends. He understands the type of players he has on his roster. But he hasn't given up the defensive tenacity that he preaches the Spurs are still getting it done on the defensive end. They are the second best team, at least as holding teams, to score an opponent's uh, points per game at 98.4. So this team is just a beast on both ends yeah. of the court. You're you right. want to run with them, don't score. 
Pop is like, okay, they're gonna run. Let's do this. But guess what? We can still play that slight better defense than the other team. So that's where we're gonna have the edge on them. Greg Popovich now 21st season as head coach with the Spurs. To have that kind of longevity and that level of success is really impressive in any league at the top level. He's now outlasted Duncan. I think earlier on people thought maybe he'll retire when Duncan does. Now he has a guy in Kawhi Leonard who's going to be a superstar in town for as long as Popovich is, I assume. Is there any indication from your standpoint of when Popovich might decide to step away from the game? None. None. I don't I don't see him stepping away from the game for quite some time. Let's not forget that he is the new Team USA Olympic men's national team coach. You know, that's what, 2020. So he's going to be around for quite some time. He's also I think he's uh, mentioned in the offseason that he's being a little bit more physically fit now. He's trying to stay in more shape now. So he I think he's seen himself for quite the long haul patrolling the sidelines for the Spurs and obviously for Team USA uh, years from now. And no, I don't see him slowing down. You're you're seeing him enjoying the new look Spurs. He said it recently at a Spurs practice where he, you know he's enjoying it. That uh, he's excited to see a brand new crop. Does he miss Tim Duncan? Absolutely. Who doesn't? <laughs> but I think I think he's excited to see what the new guys are going to bring in, where this new Spurs team is going in the post Tim Duncan era. And I think it's starting off a grand Kawhi Leonard, Lamarcus Aldridge. Uh, you're looking at youngsters like Adavis Bertans, DeJounte Murray, who they're very high on. You have Jonathan Simmons, who hopefully will only get better. This team is looking pretty solid in the post-Tim Duncan era, and credit Greg Popovich for evolving and allowing this team to evolve into what it needs to to stay competitive and be a title contender year in, year out. From that response, I'm thinking he might be like a Supreme Court justice where he'll just do it until he dies, possibly. Yeah, he might be that teacher when you're 50 and you look back and you're like, she's still teaching in uh, elementary school when I was here? Yeah, everyone. There's always that one teacher, two teachers that are just there forever. Yeah, exactly. I think that's what's going to happen. I think years from now, you're going to see uh, Tim Duncan get inducted into the Hall of Fame. And then after that, you're going to see, I'm, I'm making this up, I'm being obviously silly here, but DeJounte Murray get inducted to the Hall of Fame. He goes, I'd like to credit my current Be coach, careful. Popovich. Uh, yeah, yeah, we might use that as a title. So careful what you joke around with. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> toward the end of what you were saying, also how Popovich has a really great team with a lot of young, promising players too. Expand upon that a little bit more beyond Kawhi Leonard and also we're not sure how much longer LaMarcus Aldridge will be part of the mm-hmm. core. I know he's not that young also, but focusing especially on the younger players, how strong is this core and how confident are you in them to keep the torch going forward around Kawhi? I'll be honest with you guys. I, I'm a little iffy on it. I'm about 50-50. If you strip away the veterans, and I'm throwing in there, like you mentioned, LaMarcus and Manu and Tony. And maybe even Danny Green. I mean, I throw him in there. If you just look at the young influx of talent they brought in, Dejounte Murray, Davis Bertans, Dwayne Dedman, Jonathan Simmons. You do not know Bryn Forbes is still going to be here after this season. Who knows? And you know, and Kawhi Leonard obviously is part of that future push. I think they still need work to be done. I think eventually they're going to need to address the point guard position. 
Parker, I mean, obviously he's making me eat my words right now, but his better years are behind him. He's playing better right now. Yes, there's no doubt about that. But his tunnel of NBA career is coming to a close. You have Patty Mills. What are they going to do with him after this season? He is in a contract year. Is this the last time we're going to see the Australian in silver and black? We don't know. He's producing numbers this year. He's upped them almost across the board. So he's going to be getting looks in the offseason. I think point guard is a position this team really needs to look at heading forward. And I think that's where DeJounte Murray comes in. I'm not totally sold on DeJounte Murray as of now. I think he's still a uh, very large project to work on. I know the Spurs are high on him. They drafted him with their pick. I actually interviewed DeJounte the moment he got drafted by San Antonio. He was very happy. He was excited. He was looking forward to learning from Tony Parker. And I think that's going to show. But what more can you look forward to in a uh, at that time, a 19-year-old rookie out of college and now 20 years old who has been in and out of the D-League with the Austin Spurs and where he has glaring weaknesses? I mean, just for example, in the games he played in Austin, he shot 10% from the three-point line. He had 5.4 turnovers per game. He has a lot to work on still. So I would say point guard position is the one spot I think the Spurs need to really focus on going forward. After that, I would say it would be more paint help. I think Dwayne Dedman is nice, but Pal Gasol and LaMarcus, they're, they're up there in age. They're going to be gone soon. So who's going to be that next postman of the present? Will the Spurs even go that route? Will they become more of a uh, Warriors-like team where they don't need a big man to dominate? Will they just uh, be looking for uh, wing players, guys that can just score and hit the outside shot the way the NBA trend is going right now? I would say I'm 50-50 right now. I think they have a nice mini foundation, but I don't think it's strong enough going forward with the uh, young guys they have right now. You talked about the point guard position kind of being up in the air. Patty Mills has been really good and DeJounte Murray, mm-hmm. the youngster. What do you think the likelihood is of Mills being the starting point guard next year? And how confident are you that they're going to try to bring him back? And how much of a priority do you think that'll be? I think he'd be, uh, I think he's going to be a very high priority. I, I think they're going to want to bring him back. I think he's proving that he is worth a payday heading into uh, next season. But it depends on how much the Spurs are willing to dish out. The Spurs team is very financially conscious. They're, you know, they'll look at their books first before they make a huge commitment like that. Is Mills worth a crazy big contract? Not like I say max contract, but is he worth a sizable payday? Possibly. But at the same time, you don't want to disrupt the fact that the Spurs are going to get some good cap space next season. Tim Duncan's off the books. Who knows if Mono Ginobili is going to retire or not? If he retires, it's another player off the books. Parker still under contract, Danny Green as well. So they're going to have to keep their flexibility in mind. Is Mills going to be a priority? Yes. Am I confident he will resign? Yes, I am confident. I, don't think, I think he likes the culture here. He likes the system here. He's been here for quite some time. His best seasons are here. He's won a title here. But are you going to blame the guy if somebody throws ridiculous money at him? No, you're not. If he decides to bolt. But I don't, still don't think Patty Mills is enough at the point guard position. I think I don't think he is. I think you still need that just something more out of your point guard. Patty Patty Mills is great. He can nail the shots. You know that. I know that. The listeners know that. 
he looked great wearing the Australian uniform in the Olympic play. And you kind of project that out thinking, well, if the Spurs just gave him that type of time on the court, he should do the exact same thing. You hope that that's what happens if he does transition to become the starting point guard. But with Tony Parker there, that's still probably a couple of years away. I don't think Popovich would do something like that to Parker. Pop is very loyal to guys. He's going to be very loyal to Tony Parker. Uh, you saw sometimes that Popovich's loyalty to players can almost be his detriment. Recall Michael Finley. How many times did you see Michael Finley on the court for San Antonio when times where he should not be on the court when Finley was wearing silver and black? So hopefully Patty Mills will be back next season. I like him. I like what he brings <laughs> off the bench. And uh, let's rock and roll with the Australian. Before you mentioned that you weren't sold on LaMarcus Aldridge's fit, he's a little bit older than the rest of the core. He still has his dominant games, but his style of play doesn't necessarily always seem to mesh with everyone else. What do you think he needs to do to better adapt to the team or vice versa? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both, actually. And I'm not trying to wiggle my way out of this. I think it's a little bit of both. I think he needs to become more selfish. I know that's weird to say on a uh, Spurs team that doesn't preach selfishness, but I think he needs to start looking to be more shot first and pass first. I think if he does that, then everybody else benefits because then he becomes a threat in the middle, a la Tim Duncan. And if he does become a threat in the middle and more so than what he is in recent games, then that just frees up everybody else. That frees up clean looks for a Danny Green. That frees up clean looks for Patty Mills opens up the lane for Tony Parker. Mono Ginobili allows Kawhi Leonard to simply just be Kawhi Leonard and just dominate that much more, knowing that opposing teams have a solid, great post presence to deal with when dealing with the San Antonio Spurs. So on the flip, though, you see that if he does become more selfish and he does become more shot first and let me get my shots up, then it will help the team, as I mentioned, space team, confidence in him. And maybe the players, his teammates can feed off that confidence and just rise to the occasion. I think he needs to do a little bit of both, I think. And then you'll see the ripple effects, positive ripple effects for the silver and black. How Gasol is an interesting addition. And it seems like to me, he really fits in with the Spurs culture and style of play. You also mentioned earlier in the show that him adjusting to life with fewer touches was at least part of the blame for the team's slow start and just their new additions continuing to gel. But is he a guy, do you think, that can adjust to shooting as few shots as he's been? Or do you think that he needs to be more involved, particularly taking more shots per game? I would like to see him taking more shots per game. But that then becomes more of a uh, wrench in the machine because, for example, if he starts looking for his shots first, then, you know, what if that disrupts LaMarcus? And then, then what if that disrupts the offensive flow? I like what you're seeing out of Pal right now. I actually do. And I would not mind if he becomes uh, going forward with San Antonio that nine, 10 points a game, 11 points a game. But what I'm liking is that he's rebounding. He's rebounding has been pretty good this season. He's been having double-digit rebounds in a few games, and I like that out of him. It starts to break. He does a quick pass out of the rebound, off to the fast break. That starts the engine going offensively for San Antonio. And 
there's one area though that I just hopefully he gets better with, and I'm looking at you, Chip Anglin, is his mid-range shot. I like to see that knock it down a little bit uh, more on the regular. I haven't really seen it as much as what you've seen and I've seen and the listeners seen from him in his Chicago days, in his LAL days, his Laker days. I like to see that develop a little bit more. I think right now what you're seeing out of Powell is what you're going to get most of the season. Will he explode for a great double-double time to time? Of course. But all in all, what you're seeing out of Powell is what you're going to get for the rest of the season. Hopefully he'll turn that around when money time counts, and that's the postseason. Jeff, you spent a lot of time with us. We really appreciate that. We just have one more question for you while we have you on. Kind of an interesting one. A statistical anomaly that really goes against the eye test when you look at the Spurs. When you really drill down into the individual defensive ratings on the Spurs, one thing that you notice is actually that Kawhi Leonard has the worst individual defensive rating and the worst on-off split. This is a stat that's brought up by Matt Moore from CBS Sports a lot. An explanation maybe for that is that when opposing teams see him on the other end, when they run their offense, they just put whoever Kawhi is guarding away from the action and then try to sort of play four-on-four with the other guys, Mm -hmm. some of whom are below-average defenders. So can you sort of make sense of that statistical anomaly for us? Is that maybe the explanation? And do you think that somewhat nullifies Kawhi's immense defensive impact for the Spurs? Uh, Absolutely not. I I think it doesn't nullify his defensive impact for San Antonio at all. I I think what you're seeing when opposing teams do do that and they're pulling away the player that Kawhi has to defend I think that's actually to your detriment for the opposing teams. A, I think it's smart. I think it's a great, brilliant thing that the opposing teams are doing. But at the same time, it's going to hurt because now you're going to allow Kawhi. Maybe he can cheat a bit. Maybe he can lead that guy away because they're telling the guy, just stay away from the action. Get away. And he can play the passing lanes a little bit easier on his side of the floor. That he can get on the break if they do stop the four on four, that being the Spurs. And he can just uh, wreak havoc in that way. Do I think that he is a defensive liability because of that statistical anomaly? No. He is the reigning two-time defensive player of the year. Uh, There's a reason why they're pulling the guy that he's defending away from the action. because He's that good. You like that the teams have to scheme like that for Kawhi. And even if it does impact him, at least he's making it up on the offensive end because he's flourishing on that side of the court. He's just wrecking all sorts of damage. So... Eventually, it's going to catch up to opposing teams. I like what the stat shows, and I think it's absolutely right, Lauren, what you said, that all they're doing is just pulling him, this defender away, him and Kawhi, the defender, from the action. But it still leaves other good, not Kawhi Leonard level, but good defensive players that the Spurs have. Deadman, his defensive rating is 95.3. You're looking at Simmons, who's actually bringing up his defensive rating to 96.8. You still have Danny Green, who is a very underrated uh, perimeter defender. So I think the Spurs still have the guys to get it done defensively when teams do that. But at the same time, you're allowing Kawhi maybe to get on the fast break easier, to play passing lanes, even maybe even rest up a bit. If they're going to pull him away, just take a breather and then get ready back on offense. So I don't know how to really explain that other than I like it and then I don't like it. And I think it's 
kind of like shame on you, other team, for even allowing that to happen because all you're doing is just shooting yourself in the foot in the long run. No, what you said makes sense. And it's always good when you see these statistical anomalies that really jump out to you and go against what your eye test says to have something that is able to provide context to it. Why is this happening? And also the Spurs, as you mentioned before, are still an elite defensive team. They're top five, definitely, maybe top two in defense this season Mm -hmm. in terms of defensive ratings. And with a lot of guys that you don't typically think of necessarily as defensive difference makers. So it was great having you on, Jeff. A lot of great information. Really enjoyed talking Spurs with you, and hopefully we can do it again sometime. Anytime, gentlemen, you just let me know and I'm there.